Here we go, rejecting the screen. Everybody's out on the East Coast. Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, and our guest as we go ISO every week, a long form interview with all sorts of folks associated with the NBA. And to me, he is the voice of NBA radio on Sirius XM. He's the longtime co-host of the NBA Today show on Sirius XM NBA radio at 4 Eastern, Monday through Friday. He is Justin Termini. Justin's been a longtime friend of mine. Justin, do you remember your first three-hour show on NBA radio? The first three-hour show? Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. It was with Mike Dunleavy Sr. So, and Mike didn't uh, really fill up the time. As, but like Mike is passionate off the air, but you put him on the air, and he's not necessarily Eddie Johnson, who I work with now, or like a guy like Sam Mitchell. Uh, so it was a little bit of a struggle. Plus, we got no telephone calls. So uh, it was a little bit of a struggle, but it's been good ever since then. What, what does make a good co-host? Uh, I think it's just somebody that's got opinions, right? Because you find oftentimes in this industry, right, that a lot of people aren't going to be necessarily honest with you because especially when you're working with like a former player or coach because you're not sure if they want to get back in the business. So I think it's just giving you their honest opinion, right? And, and guys typically I have worked with that have given their honest opinion have ended up getting back into the league, right? I've worked with Lionel Hollins while he's coaching the Lakers right now as an assistant coach. And Lionel would come on. Like I remember one time John Wall had a triple-double, but he was maybe three of 18. And he goes, that's not a triple-double. You go three of 18, that's not a triple-double. That doesn't count. Sam Mitchell is another guy that, you know, got the Minnesota job after we started working together. So I would say just somebody that will give you their honest opinion and not hold back. That's all I expect out of my co-host is just an honest opinion. If you give me that, I don't care if you disagree with me. Okay, now as for host, I know you went to Xavier High School and you were doing play-by-play for basketball, football, and even some public address announcing. What would you today tell that guy back then about, hey, if you're going to make it in this business, this is what you have to do? Uh, it's just to be persistent, right? Uh, now, if I were to go back and like give myself advice, I might tell myself not to get involved. Uh, if I was like 29 years of age, telling my telling myself back in high, I would say don't get involved. But then once I hit the 30 mark uh, and I started to find some success, then I would go back and, and say just don't worry because you, you put yourself through too much stress. But just keep working hard, right, and do the stuff that you're doing and be confident in what you're doing because you're going to hit a ton of roadblocks, as you guys know, going in going into this business. It's really competitive. Uh, you don't know when you're going to catch that break. And I caught a break early on with Noah hiring me over at NBA Radio, uh, NBA Radio at Sirius. Uh, Noah, was, Noah was put in charge at an early age as well of, of making the hires over there. He hired me, uh, and, you know, that was a huge break. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, just to, just to stick with it, and uh, maybe even nicer to people along the way as well. I mean, me and Noah have gotten along, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot about connections, and I'm probably kind of a I'm probably kind of a jerk. So I should even give my advice advice to myself at the age of 39 to be nicer to people. Justin, what was the roadblock that you faced along the way that at one point you thought was insurmountable? Ah, uh, jeez. I mean, there, there's several lights. So and I, I give you one from high school, uh, right from the start, is I, I actually quit sports in order to make the, because I was so worried about the future, right? And I'm like, I, I got to get started now in order to get into a college, in order to get the experience. Uh, and uh, I got kicked off the air a couple of times just because I, uh, you know, I felt that I needed to be true to myself. So I had to, you know, for example, early on, uh, I would uh, I would criticize the football team and they kicked me off the air. Uh, at uh, at Xavier High School, and you brought up Xavier, and it just brings back bad, bad memories. Uh, and I had a principal tell me, you know, I don't know why you're going into sports broadcasting. You know nothing about sports. So I think of that to this day. Uh, so that was an early roadblock. I mean, getting told that I needed to change my voice. That uh, and that that I got in college. That I got at the uh, professional level as well. Uh, just all the hard work, and you're wondering, is, is anybody listening? Is, is anybody out there that's a boss listening to what you're you're saying and all the hard work that you're putting in? And, you know, uh, eventually, you know, I, I got lucky. But, uh, you know, you question yourself when you're up till four in the morning, right, working the overnight shift often. So, wait, when you criticized the football team in high school, who did you hear from? 
Oh, my God. Uh, you know, they wanted to kick me out of school uh, for that. Uh, I had one line where I, I couldn't see the, uh, the assistant principal was also the coach. Uh, so uh, I criticized, like, you know, players who got in trouble for, for doing some extracurricular activities. Uh, and I said, well, if they weren't playing football, then they wouldn't be held to the same uh, the same standards, right? Because any if I did that, I'd be kicked out of school. If a regular kid did that, they'd be kicked out of school. Uh, so I didn't like that. I remember another time a kid jumped up in the air playing back basketball uh and i said uh well you know listen that kid can't even think on his feet never mind when he's up in the air i take english class with him and he's not that bright uh and that got me in significant trouble as well <laughs> that's such a that's such a great line what was the significant trouble oh well uh, listen i mean they kicked i it was the i said that the day before the last game of the season so they took me off the air for the last game of the season where they had all the like a big finale we were doing special so and it only hurt the kids because they didn't get the videotape right of of them like uh, playing their last basketball game and getting the flowers from the parents etc uh so yeah they, they took me off the air for that game uh the football one they just ended my broadcasting career at uh at so i don't look back on that but like i wrote an article on it a couple of years ago and i said make sure you don't mention that in the in the title that i was fond of the school uh because i don't want to give them any credit but i'm sorry for mentioning them off the top yeah i know so you added you ticked me off when you mentioned that if you mentioned my college in emerson i would have said yeah i, li- I love that experience that was great but bringing up savior you know i just brought up bad memories Oh, we'll get to we'll get to that too. I, I I sometimes like to ask, and I think it's so appropriate for you. What was the dream for you at that time? I, I'm doing what I'm doing right now, and it didn't even exist back when we were kids, right? Like an all NBA basketball show. Like so, I just wanted to do an all sports talk show, like WFAN, Chris Russo, and and uh, uh, and Mike Francesa. Like I wanted to do something like that, uh, and uh, you know. I just never thought that I could do an all NBA show. And when I got this serious, it was funny because I, they, I got hooked up with Noah who was working from the NBA end, right? And they said, we're starting an all NBA radio station. And they must've asked three or four other guys that were ahead of me in regards to seniority. If, if they wanted to go over there and interview for the job and they're idiots because like I have always, like I did a fantasy show for a long time where I knew nothing about fantasy sports. I still don't play fantasy sports. When they offered me a job to host a fantasy sports show, I did it. I'll never forget, from midnight till 2 a.m. Eastern time, I did a fantasy sports show. I had no clue what fantasy sports was, but I said yes. So they asked a bunch of guys to go over an interview with Noah and a couple of other people over at NBA Radio, at, at the NBA side, NBA Entertainment. And a couple of the guys are like, oh, I really don't know much about, about the NBA. Like, it's not my niche. I'd prefer to host on baseball or, or the NFL. And I said, geez, NBA, that, that'd be my dream job. So that might have been at the age of like 24 or something. Got hooked up with Noah. Noah gave me the afternoon drive uh, time slot as a producer and an update anchor. Every once in a while, I'd be a fill-in host. But, yeah, I mean, NBA was my favorite sport ever since I was five years old. I wanted to talk on the radio. And then the combination of the two at Sirius was just the perfect mix. More from Justin in a moment. RockAuto.com, a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. The catalog is so easy to use that even Justin could figure it out. And as I've said before, not on, not so far on this podcast, but Justin's barely a human. And he can navigate these catalogs. <laughs> Just choose the brand, the specifications. I mean, he, I, he couldn't fix a car. Well, neither could I. But he can barely fix himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but he can talk about the NBA in a way that very few can. And the prices are always reliably low, which is great for Justin because he doesn't want to spend any money on anything. So he could do it with these auto parts at rockauto.com. And if you type in locked on in their how did you hear about us box, that'll let them know that we sent you. L-O-C-K-E-D space on locked on. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Right, so Justin and I are, are two years out of college, and the NBA wanted to start a radio station with Sirius. It was, I think it was the only league at the time that didn't have the, the 24-hour um, yep. the 24-hour program on Sirius, 24-hour channel. So since I was the one with the most radio experience, recent radio experience at NBA Entertainment, they said, can you help start this thing? And <laughs> who am I to say no? But I mean, I'm still on some sort of crazy hourly wage. And now they're asking me to start up this uh, NBA radio. So when 
serious, we had asked serious, can you send over some folks who could be producers and, and do updates? I met with Sean Butler, who's now the program director over there. And Sean was do, ended up doing the mornings and, and Justin. And I, I mean, I fell in love with Justin right away. I loved his personality and I thought he'd make a great host at some, at some point. And, and he was actually better than a few of the hosts that we put on the air right away, but that's a completely other story. And so we had all this experience right away working with the league and the radio. And then Justin was able to just continue to take those opportunities and move forward. So let's go to, to Emerson. You're at Emerson with Sam Presti and, and Rob Hennigan, correct? Both of them? Yes. Uh, well, uh, Presti graduated, I think, maybe the year that I got there. Uh, Hennigan was my best friend throughout college, yes. So, I mean, right, all, right from the start, we took classes from freshman year through senior year. And I got to know Sam a little bit just through the connection with the basketball team, where I, I wanted to play basketball. And, again, I, that summer prior to college, I went through the thought process of, do I want to play? Uh, and then I said, you know what, I've got to focus on, on the broadcasting career. So I ended up just getting close with all those guys uh, that played on the basketball team because uh, I broadcasted the games, right? So, right. And now, nowadays, if you go back to Emerson, they have a full broadcast. Like they have like multiple cameras. They have it's done professionally. They have a whole studio within the basketball arena. At that point, I was just going there with a, with a little handheld mic. And, and doing the games into a uh, into a tape recorder, but yes, uh, it's a long story short. Yes, I was there with uh, with Rob, and then got to know Sam uh, via that as well. Right, I knew you were there with Rob. I wasn't sure where Sam overlapped. How did how did those friendships not help career wise, but how did it help shape how you viewed the game of basketball? Uh, those, those friendships in no way affected my career. Uh, I have no relationship with either one of those guys, uh, to be quite honest with you right now. In fact, like the, the coach there at, uh, at Emerson was able to push those guys into the positions that they hold today, like give them internships and then form that connection. Now you have a lot of guys in the league, uh, that, uh, that have jobs through Sam. So the coach originally hooked up Sam with an internship and Sam being a very bright guy was able to turn that into, into what he is today, which is uh, obviously been down there in Oklahoma city. I don't know what, 10, 13, 14 years as the, as the GM there. Ron followed in his footsteps. Will Dawkins who's very high up in the OKC organization, probably be a GM at some point, got the job through, through that as well. And a lot of other Emerson kids as well. But as far as uh, them helping me at any part of my career, it's just ironic that we, we both ended up, uh, you know, serving in different different aspects of the NBA, but no, no connection whatsoever to uh, how I uh, got, a, a guy, I worked my way up in the field. How surprised are you now looking back at, at what they were then as to what, what they turned into in terms of executives? Uh, yeah, I mean, both, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Sam was one of the smarter guys to ever, to ever go to Emerson uh, in regards to like some of the things that he accomplished uh, academically. Uh, and Rob, uh, Rob, a little bit surprised just because I don't think that Rob uh, wanted to get into that field necessarily. I remember when he told me that he was getting an internship at the San Antonio Spurs, because that's where Presti was originally. Uh, you know, he was hesitant to even know if he wanted them. I think Rob wanted to go into broadcasting and then uh, even a couple of years into his career, wanted to go into teaching, was thinking about getting out of it. And ultimately, obviously, he turned up being a GM himself down in Orlando before going back to Oklahoma City. All right. So so college ends and you, you're you're starting you're starting it serious. Those nights of doing updates and sleeping at the studio and just figuring it out. Were there more nights where you thought, I don't know how much longer I can do this? Yeah, I mean, originally, I, uh, you know, I, I remember when I did updates the first time because they just threw me directly on it. Like, I went to Sirius and I kept telling people, uh, you know, handing in this, handing in this, and nobody would take my disc, right? Uh, then ultimately, I went up to somebody I didn't know. His name is Patrick Maher, and that was my first big break. So Patrick Maher is working behind the scenes like myself. But he was working a behind-the-scenes job where he was just killing time until the station uh, was fixed, right? So he was he was doing the same job I was, which was essentially just playing the commercials. And uh, I just walked up to Patrick thinking he was, you know, just another guy right out of college. And, you know, whatever, he's just an idiot pressing buttons like me. 
and I start BSing him, uh, and he goes, you know what, I, I like this guy. Let me hand in his disc to these bosses who wouldn't listen to me without, without his help, right? So he hands in the disc, and these same guys that were ignoring me for months go, oh, wow, you know, you got a, you got a pretty good voice, and they threw me on the air like the next day. And from that point, so then I remember, to go back to your question, like how close did I come to quitting? You know, I'm basically directly out of college. I've never broadcasted probably to more than you know 30 people listening on any station I've been on in my life. Uh, and then I go directly onto national radio, onto Sirius XM, uh, and I'm stumbling around. I don't like to read, like so, uh, meaning I don't like to do the updates where you're reading off the paper. I just like to speak extemporaneously. Uh, so I'm flubbing everything. And I remember calling my parents after like three or four days, going, you know, crying and saying, "I think I'm coming home. I quit." Blah blah blah. And they said, you know, I thought they were going to say, you're not doing that. They said, whatever you want. I ultimately ended up sticking with it. And, you know, there were some rough years in there where I'm doing the overnight shifts. Uh, you know, I'm getting shifts only because people are calling out at, you know, five in the morning and I'm going in directly the next day into work and, you know, busting my rear end. I'm making, you know, $400 a week. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I mean, just by always filling in when people got sick, I ended up making enough money to survive until I got a full-time job. When was the first time, especially as you say, you're flubbing through things, but a lot of that stuff doesn't matter. But when's the first time that you really frustrated someone either within the organization or just within the league circles itself? All right. Well, with, you know, with work, uh, I'll never forget uh, Steve Cohen, our boss, Steve Cohen. Uh, I, I made a mistake, I think, in an update where, you know, they when you get to like two in the morning, you end up repeating the updates and they play all morning. Uh, and then the next morning, I got like an angry email from Steve, what the hell are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I called him up. He's screaming at me. Then I saw him later in the day. Uh, and it's like he completely forgot about it, right? He just completely ignored it. I brought it up, and he said, what are you even talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And and that's the point when I knew he was a good boss because you get something off his chest and tells you you're wrong, and then you continue. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I loved working for Steve Cohen. Uh, but, yeah, that was an incident that, uh, that I'll never forget. Uh, and then and within the league, I mean, I guess there's been a – I mean, David Stern early on, I sent out a tweet probably when I had only about 1,000 listeners, 1,000 followers on Twitter, if that – uh, I don't even remember what it was about. I think it was something about uh, Chris Paul or Doc Rivers or Kevin Garnett or something. Uh, and it was the day of the draft. And uh, uh, they called series. And, like, David Stern's not happy with the tweet. What is he doing if he wants to be the voice of the NBA? You can't be doing stuff like this. Uh, and we didn't. We thought it was somebody that was, you know, maybe an underling to David Stern that was just saying that. Then we get to the, the NBA draft, and uh, we made a joke about it. And I go, yeah, David's really not happy. <laughs> so, uh, so that was interesting. And then I also got into it with David Stern one time. In 2012, it was my first time being sent. It was, it was the year before he we went full-time with, uh, uh, with NBA radio. Uh, so I was just part-time. I was doing a show on weekends. Somebody got in trouble at the station that was supposed to go cover the All-Star game, all right? So three days before the All-Star game is set to take place in Orlando down in 2012, Sirius, knowing that I'm basically the one guy there that loves the NBA, says, all right, go to Orlando, all right? So all I'm doing is I'm an update man, and I'm doing like a weekend show. They say, go to Orlando. You're covering, covering the All-Star game. I go down to Orlando. I interview LeBron James. I interview one-on-one for like 12, 15 minutes. Nobody came over and stopped me. I interviewed Dwayne Wade, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, all, all these huge things. Kawhi Leonard at the time, they said, can you do us a favor and interview this kid? I barely <laughs> knew who he was. Uh-huh. But then at the, so the last day, I interviewed David Stern. David Stern sits down, okay, across from me. And I say something to the extent of, uh, David, thanks for, uh, you know, thanks for stopping by. What do you think of the, uh, the, the job that are, they've done down here in Orlando? And he goes, whoa. He goes, what a difficult question. He goes, so difficult. Uh, you know, all you guys are the same with these difficult questions. So I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, so I'm like, all right, you want a difficult one? Uh, so then I asked him about uh, uh, some comments that Mark Cuban made, and he got a little testy. Uh, and then he goes, that's not what Mark Cuban said. And he goes, why don't you try again? And I said, well, I clearly don't know. So why don't you tell me what he said? Uh, and, uh, so that got a little, and I'm, you know, just trying to start out my career. I don't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. Then a little bit later in the interview, after we're going back and forth, I say, what's your, t- like, what's your, are you, con- how concerned are you about all these players going to, uh, these destination markets, right? 
because uh, it was after LeBron went down to Miami. And he says, well, you know, Miami's not a, Miami's not a big market. And then I said, oh, well, I didn't say big market. I said destination market. Uh, and, uh, you know, I thought after the interview was over, I was going to get in trouble. Uh, but instead, Sirius loved it that I didn't back down, et cetera. And uh, clearly, he didn't complain to the NBA and get me kicked off the station because I stayed doing it. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that interview. It's probably the most memorable interview I ever conducted. What's a 15-minute sit-down with David Stern versus 15 minutes with Adam Silver like? Oh, it's it's completely different. Now, I've never had Adam in person. I've only done had uh, the current commissioner over the phone. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's the complete opposite. I think David Stern's like trying to pick a fight with you. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I've heard, and that's what happened to me, whereas, whereas Adam Silver's telling us, hey, great job. I listened to the show. You guys do a fantastic – whether he does or not, I don't know. But he's telling me, hey, you guys do a, a fantastic job with the show, et cetera. So it's a little different. Uh, I think like with Adam, you just like kind of ask a question – he gives you a long answer, right? And then you ask another question, then it's a, you know, maybe another long answer. Whereas with the, with Commissioner Stern, it's just back and forth, rapid fire. And you got to think on your feet. Look, we know everything associated with the league itself. The league's going to want to control. And certainly was the case, obviously, as you point out, when, when David Stern was there. And I've heard stories about how NBA TV works, that stuff gets censored and there's stuff the guys can't talk about. And there's, muzzles on this and that what kinds of things have you been told that you're you're not allowed to talk about yeah i I mean to be honest with you i mean i guess you and nobody really needs to say this but i guess it's like you don't want to rip the uh the the board of governors just because they're kind of paying for the uh for the station but i mean uh i've been critical of of guys in the past uh in regards to uh you know ownership if uh if there's a if there's an owner you know there's an issue a couple of years ago down in dallas obviously with things behind the scenes and and we were allowed to, to give our piece and uh, i think mark cuban understood that the organization at that time needed to be rectified a little bit but uh other than that i mean i gotta be honest with you baseball nfl uh all the other different stations that we have at sirius xm uh i've worked for some of those stations as well and they are far more restrictive uh than the nba i think when i first worked with noah back on the original version of nba radio uh, we had a different boss and it was very limited in what you could say i've really never been told uh you know, that I've gone too far, uh, you know, so like we can criticize. And I think that's part of Adam Silver understanding that uh, that's part of the marketing is the personalities, right? And and a little friction and debate. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd rather be working for NBA radio than the NFL network that we have, the baseball that we have, some of the other, some of the other stations. The thing that Justin was referring to is we used to have this boss that his name was Saul Steinberg. So I was asked to kind of put this thing together and then they moved Saul from NBA TV. They moved him to radio. He didn't have any radio experience. And one day, Justin, were you there for, or maybe Sean was there. Were you there the day when he came in yelling at Isola for playing the stuff about Isaiah? I was, I do not believe I was there for that. I was there for a lot of yelling, but not for that particular incident. (laughs) So one time, so Frank had gone to practice and Frank was hosting the morning show with a guy named Rich Ackerman. And I wanted to hire Kevin Burkhart at the time. And that was years and years ago. Fair to yeah, say. I mean, that, that would have been a bad, that would have, whatever happened to Burkhart, that would have been exactly. a bad hire, whatever happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a shame that he's still, he's still a car salesman. It's really a shame he never yeah, made looking it. Looking for a job. Yeah. You could have so, changed his life. <laughs> so Isola, Isola brings in this tape from, practice and he's uh, you know he's he'd interviewed somebody about maybe it was greg anthony even about isaiah and, and there was some comment they're ripping isaiah um for whatever it was and he played it on the air and then the boss came in as he usually did around like eight forty-five for their show that was on from i think six to nine and he comes in Frank, you can't play that. Don't you know who pays for the seat that you're sitting in? This is out. He flipped, he flipped out. Flipped out. So then we're all like, wait a second. We can't criticize anybody? But that was different because we were doing the show out of the NBA office. Right. It wasn't, right. It wasn't, out, of, it wasn't out of serious at the time. 
So, Jeff, yeah, and I, yeah, I also think, like, again, like Adam Silver is a, a new commissioner and things I think probably have changed under under him as well. And just understanding, like, what the, the media dynamic is now. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably changed a little bit as well. Plus, we have we have different bosses where I think uh, the guy that you were referring to is probably just trying to save his job. Right. And he's got to see those guys every single day, whereas uh, there's uh, probably a little bit more leeway right now, as you mentioned. So when it comes to controversies and mixing it up with owners and executives, have uh, have you and Daryl Morey spoken ever since he left Houston? No, I mean, like, we went back and forth on Twitter a little bit, uh, you know, uh, right after. I forget what he me. Oh, he said he ripped me on Zach Lowe's podcast or something. And he said it was personal, and it's not personal. Uh Really, all I said was, it's the same thing that my co-host Eddie Johnson said, it's that you can't win shooting threes without, you know, utilizing the mid-range game. Uh, you can't win when you don't have a center. Uh, you can't win when you're, uh, uh, you know, treating guys like they're chess pieces and you have no continuity. And we, we don't like the excuses of, hey, it's the official's fault where they wrote the, uh, you know, wrote, they wrote the memo to the NBA saying, you know, you cost us when they really just missed 27 threes or they're blaming the Chris Paul. Like, look in the mirror a little bit. So I don't have anything personal against Daryl Moore. I just don't think his style can win. And he took it personal. Uh, you know, I, and for instance, like, I'll bring up Mark Jackson's name. Mark Jackson has handled criticism from me fantastically. Uh, and now Mark and I are, are pretty tight where I can text Mark and he'll get right back to me. And early on, uh, you know, I was very critical of Mark and some of the things that happened in Golden State. Uh, and, uh, you know, I saw him on the street one time uh, with Eddie and he, you know, looked at me and said, hey, Mark Jackson. I said, oh, Justin Germany. And he goes, oh, you're the guy that's always criticizing me, huh? And I go, uh, yeah. And he goes, well, outside of the times when you're criticizing me, uh, the show is really good. And then we talked for a couple <laughs> of minutes. And then at the end, he goes, keep up the good work. <laughs> You know, and uh, then Mark and I ended up having like a 30 minute conversation and just kind of buried the hatchet. But like he understood what it is, right, because he has to criticize people in his job as well. It's not the big de- that big of a deal. It's not personal. Uh, maybe Daryl has taken it a little personal, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not. I don't really have anything personal against anybody, I think, uh, you know, in the league. How do you how do you balance the relationships that you do make? So you mentioned, you know, you're texting Mark Jackson, you you have that kind of relationship with him, but obviously there's guys in the league that you end up getting closer to, whether they come on as guests or you meet them in other platforms, what have you, like other other circumstances. How do you balance your your friendships and guys you've gotten close with with stuff that you have to be critical about just because that's that's what you're getting paid to do? Yeah, I mean, I and I give my opinion on on everything, right? And I talked about going to school with, with Rob Hennigan, uh, you know, years ago. Rob and I don't even speak anymore because I chose, uh, you know, my integrity over, uh, hey, I'm going to sit here and uh, and just talk about uh, uh, talk about him in a positive light. When how can you really spin what happens in Orlando in a positive light? It was an absolute disaster. Uh, but a lot of times, like for example, Golden State. I can't think of a better organization with Raymond Ritter as the head of the media there, uh, and then Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, and Bob Myers. Uh, right. So th- there is not a better organization out there in regards to how they treat us. Okay, they are fantastic to us. So a lot of times, what I'll say when I'm going to be critical of anything, and again, it's hard to be critical of anything they've done over the last five years because they're so good. But I'll say. Listen, I love Clay. I love, I'll always make sure to mention like how they treat me, their character, that I root for them. And then I'll go, but, you know, not necessarily crazy about how they handled this, right? Or like Draymond Green's going to kick LeBron in the midsection and cost his team potentially a championship. I'm going to say, I love Draymond Green. Always great to me when he sits down, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, come on, Draymond, that's that's ridiculous. Same thing I'll do with Portland. Portland with Neil Olshay and Perry Stotts and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Like, I love that organization, but I, I can't sit here and not be critical of them when they had, you know, a regular season that was a little less than we anticipated. Uh, so I'll say, you know, listen, I love all these guys, always treat me well, and then I'll criticize a little bit. And some of the guys that don't treat me as well, I don't necessarily, I, I won't go like, hey, this guy, player A is a jerk, right? But I also, when I have to criticize that person, I won't go, listen, I love this guy, but, or like this guy is a fantastic individual, but uh, I'll just go right into the criticism. Yeah, and it's so easy to see through people of where their allegiances are and, and if they're not being genuine with criticism or holding something back because of a 
relationship with that coach, a player, an executive or agent. It's, it's terribly obvious. What's also really obvious, Justin, is how much Eddie gets under your skin sometimes. So how do you, yeah. how, how do you, and Eddie's been on the podcast and we actually didn't spend any time talking about you. I think we, I think we just oh, talked about how great he was as a player. So how, how do you balance your <laughs> pure disdain at times for your co-host with talking basketball? We don't balance it. Uh, I mean, so Eddie and I, if you listen to an argument that takes place on the air, the arguments that are off the air are five times worse, five times more vitriolic, and five, you know, five, we don't swear at all. So I guess it's just, you know, there's just a, a ton of expletives flying. And then the great part about it, though, is so that'll take place and we will kill each other, okay? And then something will happen like 30 seconds later and we both forget about it and then we're laughing together. So I think the, uh, the great thing that both of us have, like the negative is uh, that we both have tempers, we're both uncompromising, uh, but then we also forget very easily because if we held grudges, uh, it would be impossible to do the show, impossible to do the show. So uh, like what people hear on the air is really us. Like we are really ticked at each other sometimes. And then five minutes later, like we're like, oh, Eddie, that was great. Justin, that was great. And completely forgot about the argument we had five, five minutes earlier. So uh, it is a, it's about as weird a relationship as I've, I've ever had. Justin, I know one of your career highlights was was uh, the first time you interviewed Kobe Bryant. Um, what was that experience like for you? There have been, you know, and I tell people all this of this all the time, and I replayed that interview like recently, obviously with Kobe's death. But that was a career highlight. There have been three people that have come up to me, looked me in the eye, and said. Uh, and introduce themselves. Okay. So three people that have introduced themselves to me when I've interviewed them uh, and then looked at you in the eye the entire time and at the end of it said, thank you. So Kobe Bryant is one of them. And I don't see why he needs to introduce himself, but he did. Hey, I'm Kobe Bryant. Uh, Kevin Garnett is another one. Uh, and Garnett took it even a level further because unfortunately with Kobe, we didn't have much time in between the interview to be asked. Uh, with Garnett, we were doing it with a taped interview. And Garnett sat down there and said, uh, uh, you know, how's your family? Do you like Sirius? Is the show good? They treat you well. Uh, what are you in Minnesota for a couple of days? Where are you off to next, et cetera? Like really just asked you questions, was fully engaged, but also, hey, I'm Kevin Garnett. And then at the end of it, thank you. Uh, and then the other one is Rajan Rondo. And I'm assuming that's something that maybe he learned from Garnett. But, you know, even we went up to interview him this year in Los Angeles prior to the season. He walks over. And he's a guy that's kind of got a bad reputation with the media as well. But he walks up, he says, hey, Rajan Rondo, nice to, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then at the end of it, thank you, blah, blah, blah. Entire time, all three of those guys looked you in the eye. Uh, so, I mean, you could just tell that it was genuine with all three of those guys. But Kobe is one of those guys. And I already had respect for him previously because of, you know, the work ethic and, uh, and you know, even more so after that experiment. So that was, that was a thrill. That was certainly a highlight. So you mentioned that how much that stuff stays with you. And, and I tell it to guys all the time that saying a reporter interviewer's name during an interview goes, goes such a long way. Do you think fans expect so little from players that this stuff doesn't, it doesn't really impress them? Hey, it might, it might not. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that people just, Hey, that's my favorite player or, you know, that's my favorite team. I, I mean, look, I've done shows on in, in other sports, right? And the NBA has been lucky, I think, over the years, at least that I've been associated uh, with it. We haven't had guys get involved in like major, major, like, uh, you know, criminal activity. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I covered football for a long time where you had, for an example, like Pac-Man Jones. And, uh, and guys didn't care what he did off the field. It was all about how does this impact uh, my team on it? Uh, so I, I don't think people look for, for stuff like that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I always feel like I had a weird thing. I had a conversation with Lionel Hollins about it one time because I asked him about like whether or not you say thank you after they hand uh, the guy like that hands you the cup of water on the bench. Like I always see guys just like grab it and then like do it and then throw the cup at the guy. Uh, so like I noticed stuff like that, right? Uh, did the guy say thank you or is he just treating the guy like he's a uh, servant? Uh, uh, and, you know, I notice it when people are doing interviews, too. Eye contact, you know, not that I'm expecting it, but when, when a guy does utilize stuff like that, it impresses me. 
So, so to that end, the three guys in the league that you enjoy interviewing the most are who? Oh God, uh, I would say I would say Garnett uh, easily, just because he's fully engaged. He is the one guy. Like there are no distractions with with Kevin Garnett when he sits down uh, and you interview him. So that is definitely the guy at the at the top of the list would be uh, KG. Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of the other guys here off the top of my head. Uh, Draymond, oh, Draymond, Draymond is oh beyond fantastic. Draymond Green is. Uh, is the, the, you know, is the best interview in this. He's fantastic. So he will, so the day after uh, the All-Star, the day after All-Star Saturday night, right, we're sitting down and we're doing interviews a couple of years ago. Uh, and everybody is sort of like, they partied the night before, right? It's All-Star Saturday night. You can tell their eyes are just bloodshot red. So they're bringing guys by the set and they're like, all right, you got five minutes with these guys, Okay. And these guys are like, not that they're being jerks, but they're tired. They're exhausted. They're going through the motions. They're not fully engaged. Draymond sat down with us for 20 minutes. They're trying to get him out of the chair to move, you know, move him on, do have him do other stuff. And he just wouldn't get up. He just kept talking and expanding and he's laughing. And Draymond, and that's, yeah, Draymond is, is spectacular. So I would put him at the top of the list. Colby, I give him credit. He was great. Like I told you, Rondo was fantastic. Uh, Frank Vogel, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sat down and like a lot of guys listen to the show, right? But they won't tell you. Uh, Frank Vogel like sits down and then he's like imitating Eddie and I's voice. You know, that goes a long way. Uh, just doing something like that going, oh, Terminator Johnson. I uh, used to listen to you all the time. Uh, you know, that helps. You, you even remember it when you're talking about the guys. You want to be critical. Like you said, like stuff like that doesn't hurt uh, when somebody's going to go in and criticize you. Now we criticize Frank Vogel. It's like, oh, I love Frank Vogel. Neil Olshay is fantastic. Uh, you know, Steph Clay is great. So uh, I'll go with uh, I'll go with KG and Draymond at the top of the list. Uh, and then, you know, give you like Vogel and Olshay and, and guys like that just behind them. When you're trying to figure out what to talk about on a given day, and some days, obviously, the, the, the topics write themselves for you. But Noah and I are always of the belief that now with NBA Twitter, everybody's got the, the same opinion, the same thought, the same subject matter that they want to hit on. Um, how are you finding ways to differentiate what you guys, what you guys talk about? Uh, I, so I have a, I have an old producer of mine, Shane Conley. All right. And Shane is like wiser and no one knows him well. Shane is wiser than, than his years. And the best advice he ever gave me, because I would always go, you know, I've had bosses that are hands on. Like, how did you not lead with this? How did you not lead with that? And Shane's like, all right, here's something very simple. Cause I'm a very emotional person. What, what is ticking you? Something is always ticking me off every day. I wake up ticked off. He says, what's ticking you off the most, right? So that's what I will lead with. And uh, I've had shows where I didn't know what I was going to do, or I, I thought I was going to lead in one direction, and the open is playing. And I'll look on Twitter, and we've got some breaking news. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think there was a guy who, who wrote an article, did something about, oh, Ben Simmons has had the best rookie season of all time, okay? And it was towards the end of the year. And I saw that tweet pop up, and it was from a, a well-respected writer, and I said, Eddie, I was going to start going in this direction, but I just saw this, and I got to get it off my chest or I won't be able to focus the rest of the show. Uh, so it's whatever's ticking me off. We, ha- we had a, a perfect example is after the NBA Finals a couple of years ago, Eddie and I broke the story. Like Kiki Vandeweghe told us on the, on the station about the coach's uh, challenge, okay, that that was going to be implemented officially for the upcoming year. So – Eddie and I broke that, that story at the NBA Finals, okay? I forget what game, and maybe it was after game one or game two. We were in Golden State, and I tweeted it out and, uh, you know, said, Eddie Johnson and I have learned, et cetera. Uh, so the next day, CBS gives us credit. NBC gives us credit. You know, Justin Termity, Eddie Johnson, Sirius X and NBA Radio, blah, 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 gives us credit. Uh, and we're getting it from, from every different outlet. ESPN, you go on ESPN's website, ESPN just goes with the, the flat, like the flat out report, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, this is happening. No credit to us whatsoever. Uh, and then they're doing some different television shows, no mention of it, but every other outlet is mentioning it. So you think day after the NBA finals, we have to start with the game, right? But that just ticked us off so much. 
We're in a hot studio in San Francisco doing the show the following day. And we lit in to ESPN for a half hour at the start of the show. We might have mentioned, hey, we know we had a game last night, but this we have to get this off our chest. We lit into ESPN. Uh, and before the – so the show started at 4 Eastern time. Before 5.30, uh, it was changed on all their websites just to know that, like, hey, people are listening. Uh, they went on part of the interruption. And not only did they say, like, where the information came from, they said Justin Termini and Eddie Johnson of NBA Radio, blah, blah, blah. Like, they gave us credit across the board like that. Because I think what we said did maybe impact it a little bit, but it was also an example of, hey, just go with your gut, right? Something like the, a story might tell you that it's more important, but you have to go with what's important to you. And if it's important to you, you're going to be so passionate about it uh, that it is going to resonate with the listener. And they're going to enjoy it, even if it might be the, not be the top story. If you're passionate about it, they're going to enjoy that much more than they're going to hear you talking about something that you're not passionate about. Absolutely. And it's so easy to see through somebody who's faking that passion, who's just getting ticked off just to act like he should be ticked off. So this morning, what did you wake up pissed off about? My back. I, 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 I almost got into an accident. So my back is hurt. So that's one. Now, if you wanted what I, now I'm on vacation today and I even texted a friend the other day and I'm sort of ticked off. I'm on vacation because Pat Riley came out with this quote, uh, about, uh, uh, the asterisks right next to the, uh, the the championship, but he's like saying, oh, it's an asterisk next to our our championship, right? Like us losing, not an asterisk next to the Lakers, but next to us. Uh, and the quote was pretty clear. I went back and listened to the press conference because if I'm going to tweet something on it, I have to listen to the press. I don't want anybody to give me the excuse that it's taken out of context. Uh, and I didn't take it out of context. Pat Riley was a sore loser there, right? And uh, the way I would attack that today if I was jumping on the air is, what about Pat Riley's team in 87 that benefited from the broken foot of Kevin McHale? I mean, heck, 85 that benefited from Larry Bird breaking his finger right in the bar fight prior to that series. How about 88 when Isaiah Thomas sprained his ankle in game six, and that allowed the Lakers to not only win that game, but then win game seven behind the triple-double of James Worthy. He benefited from that. How about Tony Parker in 2014 where Parker was the best player on game, in game one but then ended up having a hamstring injury, still stayed in the, in the series, but was never the same. Well, Pat Riley has benefited along the way uh, as well, uh, and he comes off as a sore loser here. Uh, so I would attack that angle. I would attack the Miami media as well. And I, I think that the most passionate fans of Miami Heat basketball are actually their media. Uh, for some reason, it seems to be the one media base that roots for the team rather than covers it. They're all protecting Riley today. I think it's disgusting. Uh, you know, you have to just play it down the middle. Of, uh, I grew up a Celtics fan, okay? I'm still I'm not like a diehard Celtics fan anymore. Is it nice if they win? Yeah, it's my city. I like Boston. But, like, I don't cover them like I work for the team. I have some integrity. So today I would attack the Miami media. I would attack these comments from Pat Riley. I would say, all right, let's put an asterisk on Riley's championships. And I tweeted this out as well. Because if Pat Riley tried to put together a winner in Milwaukee or Minnesota or Charlotte or Indiana or somewhere else with cold weather and a lack of income taxes, uh, then he wouldn't have the three rings that he's got down there because he's benefited from Shaq wanting to go and play in Miami. One, because he had Dwayne Wade's a nice player, but also because it's a nice lifestyle. Same thing with LeBron. Like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh didn't want to go to Cleveland. They wanted to go to Miami. Great lifestyle. Jimmy Butler is not going to that same infrastructure down there in Miami uh, if that infrastructure wasn't located in Miami. If you put together that same young team and you put them in Indiana or Milwaukee, you think Jimmy Butler is going there? He benefits from being down there in Milwaukee. All right, so let's stick an asterisk next to all the Pat Riley's championships. So I thought he came off as a sore loser. That ticked me off. But even more so is the way that it was defended by those in the Miami media, like Pat can do no wrong, all right? Like Pat Riley is obviously a fantastic executive, uh, but we don't need to kiss his butt 24-7 just because we need a quote from Pat Riley uh, to, to you know, put in our story. Yeah, but then George Sedano would get really upset with you and Evan Cohen would yeah, get really upset. Yeah, yeah, we've had our fights. I've had my fight I know fights with both of those guys. I know, so. and it, it's outrageous. Uh, and, and Adam and I have said on the show before that why Heat Media continues to call Eric Spolstra Spo. It, it drives us nuts that uh, it's Spo, Spo, Spo. They act like they're best friends. Yeah, and uh, you know, so that's the stuff. I, and Jack and Nick Mullen, I mean, if, and I always say this. I bring this quote up, and I don't have it available right now. Or maybe I do. Let me see if, if this is the actual quote on my computer in front of me. Uh, yeah, here's the quote, if you don't mind me reading it. And this 
This came from Jackie McClellan, who's a Hall of Fame. You don't want to use my voice, use hers. She said this last year after LeBron made third team All-NBA, uh, and uh, she said why she's not voting for him, but some people are. And LeBron didn't deserve to make third team All-NBA last year because uh, he was injured for a majority of the season. He was a horrible leader, uh, and the team missed the postseason. Not that he's not one of the greatest players of all time. He's arguably the best. I'm not taking it away from him, but this is more of a shot at the media. And she said, I'm just not going to vote for that guy, meaning LeBron. I was talking to some of my colleagues and others too, and more than one of them said, I can't afford to leave him off my ballot. I need the king. Uh, and then she says, what has that gotten you? And where are your journalistic sensibilities? This is the biggest thing I worry about in our business. The biggest thing she worries about. The biggest thing. And I agree with her. Because, and you even saw it in the MVP voting this year. Uh, again, LeBron was the best, is the best player in the NBA. All right, I've been saying that for, what, 15 years now. That's different than the MVP. And if you look at who voted for him for MVP, look where they're located. Look where they live. They're in Los Angeles. They're people that cover that team more consistently than they cover Giannis. That's my take on it. And uh, listen, Draymond Green, I talked about earlier in the show, right, how much I love Draymond Green. Draymond is one of the guys that I just absolutely adore in the league. Two years ago, Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green, who are you voting for for Defensive Player of the Year? This is the year that Draymond won. I believe Rudy finished in second, right? And then he won two consecutive years. I voted for Rudy Gobert over Draymond Green. I have no relationship with Rudy Gobert. I love Draymond Green. Treats me well. I have a relationship with an agent. I won't give his name, but I'm very close with an agent out there, right? And he jumps on the show a lot. And, uh, you know, he had two guys uh, that were borderline all NBA this year. Could have easily voted for him all NBA. But I have a uh, one guy was winning, and I left him off my ballot. The other guy was from a losing team, uh, and, you know, and I, I, I could have put him on there justified and nobody would have questioned it i left them off because of my own standards and if i'm going to hold it against you know a guy like trey young that i can't reward the other guy for putting up big numbers and losing uh so uh yeah i think that is a that is a major issue that drives me nuts uh and listen i oftentimes will criticize media members specifically on the air and then i will also say hey jump on defend yourself let's have a conversation now most of the time the guy's not going to come on there and defend himself in certain cases people have come on to their credit uh, and i don't agree with them uh and you know we we go at each other uh but uh at least they come on to defend themselves because my take is if i vote like this year there was a guy who had some absurd votes for the all for the mba balance right uh and each year i'll call up the people i'll say listen i'm going to criticize you uh, can you come on and defend yourself and, you know, maybe change our mind and explain to the audience why you're voting a certain way? Uh, some guys will come on and defend themselves. Other guys won't. And my take is it's easy for me to defend myself if I say something or if I vote for something, because guess what? That's what I believe. Right. <laughs> so it's not difficult to defend a pick if I think Andre Drummond, and again, I don't think Andre Drummond is the uh, defensive player of the year, but if, like some, I jotted down Andre Drummond's my defensive player of the year, I could jump on the air and talk about why that's the case for 10, 15 minutes because it's my true belief. If you don't want to defend it, that means you really weren't that confident in your pick or what you said. Everything I say on the air, I mean, I have never said anything uh, up to this point that I have not meant on the air. If I said it, even if it was something that you thought was slightly inappropriate, guess what? I meant it. I said it. And I'm not going to say anything I don't mean. I love that. I love sorry, that. We're sorry gonna... for the rant. No, no, I love that. And Justin, we're going to do some quick hits. But before we do, I'm actually curious because you brought this this whole idea up. And we've talked about the, the award voting and, and how much media members are worried about the machine, that it, the PR machines that are in front of all these these star players and, and teams, too. Uh, when when it's uh, voting season, how often are you hit up by by agents or or team PR people? Yeah, the teams more so, right? Where you get like the different gifts, uh, and you know they can make you feel kind of like guilty for not voting for their guy. But I'll always get back to them and say like, you know, if they contact me directly. Sometimes it's just like a mass PR thing where they will send out a gift or something, uh, and. Uh, you know, and whatever, everybody sends that type of stuff out. That's not changing my mind. Uh, sometimes it'll be a guy that I that I know uh, more specifically. It would be like the direct PR guy will hit you up and say, can you vote for this guy? Can you vote for that guy? And to be honest with you, like that works, not in that it changes my mind because they're asking me, 
but they'll provide me with information that I can look over and I go, you know what, I didn't look at it from that angle, look at some of these statistics or look at the impact that they had, and maybe another team doesn't do that, so it helps from that regard, right? And, you know, maybe it helps a little bit from, like, oh, I feel guilty, but it's never swayed me in any way in that regard. The information maybe they've sent me has swayed me a little bit, but not them asking me to do them a favor. That, that doesn't sway me. All right, quick hits. Justin, what's the most anxious you felt recently before an interview? Uh, I have not felt anxious, I think, ever prior to an interview. I have felt that. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've never felt anxious prior to an interview. So I'm sorry to answer it that way, but uh, I've been. Yeah. I don't want it to. I don't want it to come off as I'm not nervous because, and I think I've gotten over that at this point. But at the beginning of my career, every time I hopped on the microphone, I was nervous, right? And you know, as each as I knocked off each spot, like, all right, here's my first update. Nervous is all hell. In fact, I was nervous for two months doing those. First show, nervous is all hell. Mm-hmm. First show on NBA radio, nervous is all hell. First show live from an NBA finals, nervous is all hell. I don't think I have, for some reason, just interviewing somebody has, oh, I, I actually, I, I'll give you one. All right, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, and I know this isn't a quick hitter. Uh, Rick Barry. And the reason I get nervous every single time I interview Rick Barry is because uh, Rick was one of the first people to like take me under his wing. And I have a, a friendship with Rick and I respect Rick. Uh, and, you know, he knew me as a 24-year-old kid, and every time I interview him, I wanted to view me as somebody that's respected in the industry and say, wow, he is, he is good, and, you know, he is, uh, I, you know he's, he's got a good job, and he, you know, he's, he's done well for himself. I don't want him to view me as a 24-year-old kid that, that came in just uh, uh, wide-eyed and, and didn't have a clue what the hell he was doing. So, yes, I get nervous around Rick just because he's, uh, you know, he's my buddy, and, uh, and he's a guy that I knew before I had any uh, modicum of success. Early on in your career, when you were figuring things out, you go to Europe, and I read you come back and you end up in New York City sleeping in your uncle's basement. How often does your uncle say to you that he should get some credit for your career? Well, all all the time, yeah. So my uncle actually went in, he was uh, a photographer for the New York Times, and he went in and uh, uh, he grabbed a card off the desk of of the front office. And he said, okay, call this number. You should work at Sirius. It looks like it's a pretty cool up and coming place because Sirius is just like two or three years into it. I never would have been able to afford living in New York city uh, without him. So I would sleep in his basement. I was making $15 an hour uh, at the time. It was a little rough because I was out of college and that's a drastic shark, uh, a drastic change of like lifestyle, right? Going to college, then going over to Europe and then living with your uncle uh, in his basement where you know, you, uh, you, know you, you don't want to see him everything that you're doing as a 24, 25 year old kid or 22, 23 year old kid. Uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was a big part of my life. Without him, I probably wouldn't be able to, to reach where I where I got. So I lived with him for maybe a little less than a year, and then once I Noah hired me over at NBA Radio, I moved to Hoboken. Last one for me. Um, you know, you were talking about your your quote unquote feud with Daryl Morey. I know he called you Ricky Bobby. I'm just curious as to what the background of that nickname is. Well, you're going to have to ask Daryl because, as I told him on social media, I don't know what I, – I never saw you know, or whatever, Talladega Nights, is that the name of the show? Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen it. You have all these hours to kill, and I still haven't even gone back and watched it. So uh, you're going to have to ask Daryl what, what that means specifically. I do, I do not know. But he, I think he has some free time, so maybe you get him on the podcast. <laughs> Better dating scene, New York City or L.A.? Oh, God. Uh, I will say that the L.A. girl so far has been a little bit more down to earth, I think. Uh, so I will say maybe that's just because I'm in a better mood as well. Like in, in New York City, I've been there for 15 years. It's cold. Uh, it was easy to get me in a curmudgeonly state. I think I like was rejuvenated by the fact that I went out to L.A. and everything was kind of new there. So I was like bright eyed and anxious. So I will, say, I will say L.A. has been a little bit of a better scene. Do you think girls in L.A. understand you better than girls in New York City? Oh, oh, yeah, that's another good one. I think I am a novelty out there. That is a good point because in New York, like, I'm still a novelty in New York where I'm a little bit off. But at least in New York, it's like everybody's high-paced and high energy. I've gone out, like, I've been stopped a couple of times in L.A. just by the way I dress. Uh, and people say, like, you know, where are you from? Like we're in your accent and like the way that, and then that'll pop up after I start talking to them. But they say like, you dress so 
so weird, uh, you know, or so different. Uh, but yeah, uh, they're definitely taken aback by, by Germany out there a little bit more than they're taken aback by them in, uh, in New York City. But again, that helps because at least at times you get like a novelty type of uh, like, hey, let me let me go for a spin, so so to speak. Like this this guy's different. You don't find this every day, so let me see. You know what? Or what about him different? What would it be like to maybe date him a couple of times? Whereas uh, you know, if I was just normal, I'd get absolutely nothing. So. I'm sure they say eccentric or unique or stylish about your clothes. I'm sure they don't say weird, though. No, no. They yeah, weird is probably not the word that, uh, that they do use. You're right. Eccentric. I'm just not uh, that. But my lexicon's not that deep to come up with the word eccentric. So, uh, Final one. It's the Rejecting the Screen podcast. We always ask our guests at the end of the program. Oh, God. Can't choose Jordan. And this is a conversation that guys would have in the back of the bus on the airplanes. Game seven. Who are you choosing to have the ball to reject the screen, go ISO, get your team a bucket, and you can choose anyone in today's game? Anybody in t- – so they have to be playing today? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with a guy that I don't necessarily love. I'll go with LeBron James. I mean, the guy's proven uh, over and over again that he can win. I, you know, I mean, Durant wouldn't be a bad answer either, but uh, I'll give LeBron his credit. I'll say give the ball to LeBron James. And since you're hey, an historian of the game – if you could go back in time, can't choose Jordan, who would it be? So, all right. Well, then I would go uh, – I always look at the four most clutch players. I don't care about numbers. I look at, like, attitude and guy that wants the ball. Uh, I'd be comfortable handing it to Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, or Jerry West, any of those four guys. You take your pick. No, no, you take your pick, and you can't say Jordan. Oh, well, I'll go Bird. Okay. So make sure you am listen. I, am to I Jordan. wrong? Is that is that going to be? No, there's there there is no wrong answer. Yeah. There's no wrong answer. No, your your Emerson colors are showing. Your Boston roots are showing there. We love it. There's no, well, there's no, there's no, there's no I said wrong Jerry answer. West. I mean, does that show? Is that I mean, guys, the opposite of Boston. Jerry West, my God. But I gave you, I gave you Jerry West and Kobe Bryant. How does it get more anti-Boston than that? That's about as anti-Boston as you can get. I picked four guys. I said Jordan. Kobe or, or Jerry Wesker two of those guys are from the Hayden Lakers yeah but I told you to pick one guy alright then I'm going with Bird make sure you listen to Justin Monday through Friday NBA Today 4 Eastern on Sirius XM NBA Radio been fortunate to call him a, a good friend for 15 plus years JT thanks pal yeah, fellas, and thanks for giving me the platform. So like I said, I had the day off, and I, you know, it's, I use it as my therapy, getting on air. If I didn't have the outlet, then I'd go ballistic, and you guys gave me a nice outlet here today. So I feel like I accomplished something. Thank you very much for having me on Rejecting the Screen. Oh, you're, you're welcome. You're a great host and maybe even a better guest, Noah. Well, I know, I know more people will hear him on this program than they do on most shows on NBA radio. Pal, no, thank no, Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, listen to rejecting the screen not you can listen to rejecting the screen for the next three weeks because i'll be off and certainly the programming that'll be replacing me is not going to be as good as what you guys just did as i said i go way back with justin and i've liked him from day one and i've always thought that he is an outstanding radio host because you either really really like him or you listen to him because you can't stand him there's no there is no in between and I think Justin is he's very fair and he's very passionate and it's genuine. And that's all you can ask for. No, when was the first time in the office? Because he feels like the kind of guy that obviously he's passionate about multiple subjects. I'm sure it's outside of basketball. You always have those guys in the office that are like that. It was the first time in the office that or or maybe just one moment that you remember when he's arguing like, what, you guys brought bagels and no cream cheese? This is ridiculous. Like. No, 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 it's actually, you're off with that, with Justin. He, he's barely a human, and he'll tell you that, that he only knows basketball. He doesn't, he doesn't know about other things. I had to introduce him to airline miles and hotel points when he started traveling more. It's serious. He would, like when a girl would come over, he'd put, like he'd store the Tupperware in the oven. Like he... He doesn't have that many life skills. He's just a really, really good radio host and an outstanding friend. So his passion's just basketball then. Mm-hmm. I can relate on some level, but I mean, that's, 
that's almost impressive in a way. So, <laughs> it's, it's, so he doesn't argue about other things then. So yeah. other things don't fire him up. Mm-mm. Oh, I love that. I love that. So make sure you listen to Justin with Eddie Johnson. And go back to listen to our conversation with Eddie to get a sense of who Eddie was as a player as well. NBA Today, Sirius XM NBA Radio at 4 Eastern, Monday through Friday. And you can follow Justin on Twitter at Termini Radio, T-E-R-M-I-N-E, Termini Radio. Do not piss him off or he's coming for you. Everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network. Chad Ford's NBA Big Board is back, and we're going to be launching more NBA draft coverage as well. Locked On NBA five days a week, Hollinger and Duncan, Nate Duncan, John Hollinger. Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd and, of course, your team every single day here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. As always, some outstanding conversations that you can go back and listen to on the Rejecting the Screen feed. Just under going ISO, you'll see them. Pick any of them. Trust me. You'll learn something and then share it with your friends. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.